Coaches Corner. My, my name is Jason Flores, and I'm one of the coaches from the Endurance Lab Coaches Corner. And today we're joined by Tia Tia Freestead, Andrea Cullen, and Ian Murray. These are all coaches from the Endurance Lab. If you want to know more about the Endurance Lab, head over to endurancelab.fit. Um, but today we've got some really interested, interesting topics here in the Coaches Corner. We've got lots to cover, so we're going to jump right in. Um, just starting off, I know everyone's kind of had a really um, kind of um, crazy week here at the Endurance Lab. There's been lots of involvement um, in the forum, lots of conversations. So definitely um, those writers that are getting involved and just coming out of the woodwork and asking those questions, keep asking them, keep getting involved. That's what makes this Endurance Lab, and that's what makes this um, this all work here um, um, as far as a uh, training system. So um, with that, we're going to jump right in this week uh, and talk about in this week in the lab. I'm going to throw it over to Ian. He's going to give us a little bit about the strength side and the multi-sport side and what's happening on that side this week in the lab. So Ian, how are you doing this morning? Uh, Jason, I'm okay. Just uh, having a slight recovery week from a hard weekend training, actually a hard five or six days. But uh, yeah, we've got a couple good things going on in the multi-sport world this week. We uh, did our first real hard 400 workout. And it was a, it's a real good one. It was 400 repeats on 100 meters rest. So you, know, you can make your rest as long or short as you want, depending on how fast you do that 100 meters. But uh, it's definitely not a whole lot of recovery, even if you're walking. So it's uh, definitely a good time for people to really test their, their uh, top-end speed and their uh, top-end endurance and those 400s. And then in the pool, we did our 2,700-meter paced fatigue this week. And that's one based on your pace for you know, 1500 meter swim, half iron distance swim. And it's, it's all about hitting that over and over just about five seconds, three to five seconds under that pace on 200 meters. And then doing it on 25 seconds rest until you can't hit it anymore. And then when you can't hit it, you drop to hundreds again at a, a two to three second faster pace uh, effort and keep doing it on 25 seconds rest until you can't hit it. Oh, if you get to 2700 meters, you're done. If not, then you just, if you can't hit it anymore, you just easy swim and cool down to 700 meters. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's definitely a tough one the first few times you do it. And then uh, we've got coming up next week is even more fun. It's going to be our first mile repeat. And these are going to be, <clears throat> this is going to cause a lot of consternation with people because people tend to go out and run their first mile as fast as they can yeah. and then explode mm-hmm. um, and it goes downhill. <laughs> so it's all about pacing. You know, you're obviously trying to run these hard, but the rest is pretty short. So you're not, you're not getting equal work to rest. So the goal is pick a hard pace and I've got one listed out for you in the workout, but don't try to go faster than that pace, at least for the first two. And then after that, the other key workout of the week in the multi-sport side is in the pool. It's our 800, 400, 4 by 100. And this is similar to a race closeout because we're going to have you pushing the pace a little bit, you know, race pace speed on the 800, 400. <clears throat> and that 4 by 100, though, are then really hammering the, the pace home and going really fast. So it's all about if you put in that effort for that 800, 400, can you then pick up the pace and close it out? And if you look at that, comes out to about 1,600 meters of, of real effort. Um, there's some warm-up and cool-down on either side of that. So, yeah, definitely going to be a fun fun uh, week. This week was a fun week, and next week we've got an, an even more fun week. That sounds super exciting. Man, <laughs> that, that just sounds tiring. But that um, that the... The pace is where you increase every single time, and every time you you fail, you have to go shorter but faster. That's that's. Um, I wonder what what would be the equivalent of that in cycling for a workout. I wonder. I mean, really, cyclists don't have this kind of workout. This is a this is the kind of workout that you have to be a multi sport to have person to have that kind of mental capacity and mental endurance. <laughs> Ah, oh, man. <laughs> okay, that's funny. We'll have to come up. We'll, we can come up with something, I'm sure. All right, let's head over to, let's over to cycling skills, um, uh, and I'll head over to Taya. Um, it looks like a, a lot of people were really excited about um, coming back from a rest week. Um, I actually was up on um, 
or a workout. Um, with the new endurance lab, um, I haven't had a chance or the the honor to uh, throw in some of my newer workouts, um, and so I was really happy um, to put in uh, short grinds um, and then the long grinds coming up uh, in a couple weeks. And so um, I'm going to pass this all over to Taya, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what we did this week. Did you hear that, everyone? You love short grinds. We have long grinds coming up. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking about that, too. I was like, wow, everyone really enjoyed it. I'm like, in two weeks, I don't think people are going to enjoy it. Oh, it's, it's more fun. No, really, everybody, we got lots of great feedback yeah. on the short grinds workout. So this the workout simulated shorter hills, which um, is something that very commonly uh, is very commonly um, done by our athletes you know the not everyone is out climbing long mountains all the time so when people start coming out in this time of the year in the spring here for the northern hemisphere um, chances are they're going to be doing rolling hills shorter hills maybe they're 10 minutes long etc so shorter grinds short grinds workout was perfect for that um, and there was a one minute out of the saddle interval included in that workout to really teach the body to be able to efficiently accelerate um, out of the saddle. And uh, again, you know, we've been incorporating out of the saddle drills quite a bit in this lab and also uh, previous labs. And we're seeing now as a result, many of our athletes who were not able to be out of the saddle for more than five seconds now doing a full minute or 30 seconds. So we're getting, getting that feedback as well. And if this is your first lab and you're, starting to do these out-of-the-saddle drills, don't be discouraged. Keep doing the core workout and um, keep at it. Um, even if you stand for a couple of seconds and sit down, you know, in the next next time you stay a little bit longer. So we also worked on uh, anaerobic steps, which was a longer version of the VO2 workouts that we've been doing in the past couple of weeks. So we're spending a little more time um, in the VO2 zone, but also, you know, um, having not as much of a harder uh, VO2 baked in the middle there just to get the legs fatigued and then going back to higher VO2 at the end. Um, this weekend, breakaway intervals, that's a tough one. That's race pace. That's a little bit relentless, but it is, you know, 10 minutes at a time. That's going to be also a pretty interesting one that you start really hard and have to hold the pace as you, um, would in a race to keep that gap. So, yeah, so we have also a lot of athletes starting their outdoor uh, events, uh, sportives, training races, and races. So we're going to have, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. Yeah, the workouts this, this week definitely had a really good combination coming back, having people rested um, this weekend or um, towards the end of the week here, we have the, we have the breakaway intervals, and the anaerobic steps are huge just to really open up that VO2. A lot of riders were looking to kind of open up their top end, and this really challenges you. I remember doing this workout outdoors and um, almost wanted to give it the not recommended because how many? there were a few times where it felt like I was going to black out. So that's a good workout, right? <laughs> but you didn't black out, Jason, so that means you could have pushed a little harder. That's right. I knew Ian's got it there. So there was a little bit more, you know. I, I You just... Make sure you you uh, you choose a, a dark, uh, not a dark, um, a quiet street. There was a couple cars that I, I, sh- I should have chose something a little bit more quiet than that where I was at. But it's definitely a tough one. It's got to be a hill, though. It's got to be something climbing. So I, I've got a good five-minute hill by really well. So um, really trying my effort to kind of demonstrate that these can be done outside and make sure that they are usable. Um, and use of the Garmin outdoors um, is definitely working for me. So that's great. All right. Listener, like, so Jason said, to- like Jason just said, pick a pick a dark, dangerous street with lots of cars to do this. <laughs> a dark alley, yeah. and you just go in there with yeah. your bike, looking around. You know, uh, like you're gonna five percent something. Yeah, wearing yeah. your twenty dollar bill shirt. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's jump over to in the lab. So in the lab, what we're going to um, cover are some hot topics that we've got in the forum. If you haven't visited the forum, check over at endurancelab.fit. Click over to the forum, get your login, and check it out. There's a lot of public portions on there, but for our lab writers, you get access to the coaches in the forum and able to ask questions, to interact with other writers about kind of how the weeks are going and um, if you have 
uh, from there. So I'm actually going to jump over to a pretty um, broad question here. I'm just going over to Andrea, um, and it, uh, it's going to bring in a question that we had from one of our writers, and specifically. It was about nutrition, kind of globally talking about calories and that sort of thing. So we're going to start with Andrea. Um, we're going to get her um, lovely voice in here to just give us a nice little um, summed up overview, give us some direction, give us some things that we should be thinking about um, on and off the bike um, and how we can make sense of all of this nutrition stuff uh, with our cycling and training. So Andrea. Great. Hi, everyone. Um, Mike P um, has an interesting question on the forum under the sports nutrition section and he's saying that his main goal at the moment is to shred body fat um, and to help the process he set up a calorie tracker and he's aiming to lose 1.5 pounds per week um, that's giving him a calorie number and he's got a bit of confusion about how to add in about the additional calorie expenditure from training that's calculated by training peaks or Garmin will do it as well so I suppose first you have to put more context around what what are the goals. So if we generalize this, because a lot of us want to get lean and strong, we improve our strength power ratio, which is great um, on the bike and in all aspects of triathlon as well. Um, you know, first you need to find out what is your body fat percentage and how accurate is the method that you're using to test it. There's errors in pretty much all methods of analyzing body fat. I think a scientist that um, – I was talking to about this one said, well, the best way is to just take the human body, pulverize it in a, in a giant blender and then break down <laughs> what percentage everything is. So there, there's sort of a limitation to whether we're using DEXA, whether we're using bioelectrical impedance, whether it's whole body or just the stand on scales, uh, whether you're using the calipers, the Harpenden, which would, would be the better one. Um, in the clinic, I use bioelectrical impotence, and I have a body stat, which is a whole body. So we're sticking electrodes on the feet and the hands. So it's not just shooting a current from the feet up through the waist and down again, which a lot of the scales that you're standing on does. I still know that that isn't 100% accurate. It's going to be changed by whether the athlete has been training, whether they're hydrated, dehydrated, um, recovering from training. It does give me um, markers of their cell health as well, which is quite interesting, and all the hydration stats. But we have to know that we're more looking more so at the trends. You know, most of us know when we look in the mirror whether we're overweight or overfat or underfat. Um, so where are you and what is weight? Are we trying to lose weight and body fat? Are we trying to gain weight and lose body fat? Are we trying to just lose body fat and maintain weight? This is really important. Um, and we need to set realistic goals. If you consider what body fat looks like, a pound of butter, for example, that's metabolically very challenging for your body to, to lose. Um, and a lot of the time when we start on a diet, or especially if we're doing endurance-type training, we, we may get quite a rapid loss in body weight. And I'm really sorry to burst the bubble, but that's usually water. Um, no! <laughs> yeah, so when you come back and you've lost like five pounds from a cycle... <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, technically, you're fatter. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, you need to set realistic goals. And then it's about our diet and our training and, and slow, consist consistent, steady progress. Um, losing body fat and gaining muscle while doing endurance training is actually one of the more challenging scenarios yeah. because endurance training, if anything, can lose us. Um, muscle mass and that's something that even you know for my boyfriend who does Ironman will frequently check his body fat not really to look at the body fat percentage as much as checking that his nutrition is is dialed in right so he's not losing muscle mass while the training intensity is very high because that muscle is your power which is really really important so protein in the diet is very very important to maintain um, your, your muscle mass training and getting some weight training in that does encourage um, of, of your muscle mass which will then assist the body fat loss <laughs> am i making sense so far yeah, yeah, yeah i definitely. think so you broke, you broke up a little bit at the end um i think it was um, that you were wanting to make sure that riders were um, doing a little bit of strength training to make sure that we were we were not having a muscle loss um, during during our endurance training. This is where we left off there. Yeah. So I hope I'm not going in and out because sometimes my reception's going here. <laughs> uh, 
So we need to look at what, what are we actually doing wrong with our diet? So instead of just launching into something really strict, can we just look at our diets a bit like we would with our training and reduce the kind of junk stuff? So in training, we don't want to be wasting our time. And in our diets, we don't want to be doing stuff that's getting in our way. So on our day to day, what can we lose? What's what's causing us problems? Where are we kind of kidding ourselves about the, the impact that that's having? So have a really good look at, you know, why we are where we, where we are and what we can improve. And also to explore, are there any psychological blocks, you know, about why we might be sabotaging ourselves? One thing that endurance cyclists tend to do is kind of get involved in this reward punishment cycle where we tend to you know, go out on a big long cycle and then come home and stuff our faces because we think we've earned it. Um, and, and also we'll tend to be really strict on ourselves and then go absolutely crazy at the other side. So it's trying to pull a bit of evenness in that and definitely not to be underdoing the nutrition when you're training and overdoing it afterwards. Our fuel during training is actually really important because that's what's maintaining or gaining our muscle, which is then helping us the rest of the time. So don't get involved in starving yourself during the, the harder, longer, or more intense training sessions. Fuel those well, recover from them well, and then rein yourself in the rest of the day. So that means good fueling before. If it's a long cycle or a hard cycle, to get some fuel in during, preferably from real food, and then afterwards get your recovery in and then maybe go to the chicken and salad or the fish and salad or keeping it a bit leaner the rest of the day because then you know you've you've, you're supporting your training Uh, i think andrea one of the things that you're hitting on there is is definitely something that people need to look at and i've i've dealt with people when they do the i only eat salads all the time and i can't lose weight and then you look at a salad it's got croutons you know ranch dressing cheese uh, and all stuff all stuff that's not really helpful and then and then if you watch them you'll notice they only eat salads all day and they only have their shake in the morning and they eat a very healthy dinner and then they don't notice they're eating a four pack of oreo cookies they're eating yeah. you know a handful of peanut m&ms they're eating you know they they graze on small things but don't count that because they're not technically eating the full serving or eating that but it's all that adds up and i think people kind of forget that yeah, I wrote down on my list, it's turning a blind eye on the, the actually the regular food culprits. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you need to have a good hard look at what you're doing every day. Is like Salads in America amaze me. I or- ordered a salad when we were in Texas last year and it had two ribeyes. I think it had, it had a whole block of cheese <laughs> on it and crout- And I'm like, what? This is three dinners. Okay, it's called a salad. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy now. Three dinners for you, not for some of us. <laughs> So, yeah, it's looking at the dressings. It's looking at where the cheeses are coming in. You know, what is a portion of, of nuts and seeds? You know, it's a small little bit that will fit in your hand. It's it's not a whole packet. So, right. yeah, there's looking at what's not helpful for us and needs to be removed. What's healthy for us but is in too vast a portion. And then trying to add in more of the good stuff. You can never go wrong. And Thea jumped in on that group discussion much earlier with some brilliant points which I agree on just real food you know your lots you know the plate should look like mostly veg a bit of protein a little bit of carbs for most of the athletes that are doing this type of training from a whole grain or a root vegetable and that's what most of our dinner plates should look like yeah one one Um, rule of thumb that I follow that I really like is for the carbohydrates if it's one ingredient it's probably a good carb for you. So it's yeah. a potato. It's a sweet potato. It's rice. It's just oats. Now, if it's got other things in it, it's got flour, it's got, you know, um, it's mixed with sugar, it's got other ingredients, then we're looking at something else. Then then we're adding things that we, we don't necessarily need. So sticking to the one ingredient carbs um, is a good thing. So is chocolate cake considered one ingredient? Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but that's also the our, blind eye comment. So that's, that's right. That's the blind eye. And also, our, our bodies are very, very, very smart. And we start cutting calories, and we're um, training more. So we increase yeah. our training, and we cut calories. The body has that self-defense mechanism. It's a survival mechanism, right? That's going to say, "Oh, food is starting to disappear here." Let's slow down the metabolism so we can hoard more, you know, save more fat and, and, and uh, hold on to more food into our bodies. 
Yeah. So I think as as we do kind of get a better understanding and try to bring this together, we need to make sure that we're fueling the workouts. So for Mike, me, you know, the number might be 1675 or whatever number we had come up with. But what's important is that we put the right things in, simple, real food items to fuel your workouts in and around your workout, and then be able to go um, to use the time that you're not working out or on a recovery day, for example, those are days that you can go lighter on um, calories, lighter on food, and that sort of thing. But we cannot, or you won't want to, um, <clears throat> put your workouts in jeopardy um, in you know it, with, with your with your with your, with that goal of losing kind of a head. And essentially, this is a conversation that we have a lot of times about burning the candle on two ends, trying to ride faster, you know, get a higher FTP as well as lose weight. Really, it's hard to do both at the same time. So if your goal is a little bit of both, you're going to lose out on one or the other. Uh, A workout may not reach its goals on its intensity, but you, you know, you know, you may be um, under fueled and that could be an issue. So um, the, the right way to do it is how Andrea and Taya are describing and then on some days doing it how Ian described with the chocolate cake, but on those days making sure that that fuel is used um, for those workouts, for those long rides. And then when you're not on those and you've done your proper recovery, um, you, you can do um, some of the calorie deficit stuff um, and that sort of thing. But make those calories in and around your workout so you get quality workout during those intense yeah, times. Re- regarding the calories, we really can't fully accurately measure food that we're eating in because there's variation between even different apples Mm -hmm. um, and the calorie expenditure out. And I think it can be really informative to us to catch where we're making big errors by doing a couple of days of, you know, like the, is it my fitness pal tracking? Cause it, it can really open our eyes to where we're making mistakes. But I feel that the focus really should be on the quality of food and also having some some variation, a bit like we don't do the exact same training every day. Like I can, I can't imagine if Ian said, right, every day we're going to burn 500 calories on the bike. Yeah, <laughs> you know, our bodies we won't adapt. So right, because I mean, we can't go easy every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to watch out for you. So you know, with our, with our food, it's sort of it's more about are we hitting a certain calorie balance across the week or the month or the year, but that there's fluctuations across the different days so that we're not getting into this slow down metabolic rut that Thea was describing. So and things change day by day. So getting the nutrition in, the vitamins, the minerals, the plants, which give you the antioxidants, that satisfies our appetite. Having a bit more protein some days or some days we might need a bit more carbs, but sort of keeping an eye on it at the same time. And watching that we're, we're getting improvements week by week, but try not to get over focused on the numbers The the training peaks and the Garmin numbers, they, they can't possibly be right because your calorie need is based on your muscle mass and they don't know yeah. that. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to add here is mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, most experts would agree that you also have to be careful when you decide to change your diet and when you, you want to lose weight, because if it's in, during race season yeah it's typically not recommended that you do that because it's it's really a time where you should be fueling your body um and and changes might affect uh, your performance so if you are in racing season and you are taking that seriously because you have events that you really want to perform well and uh, you might consider uh taking a harder look at your diet after you're done with that season and the other part too that is if you're really looking at race weight, okay, let's t- let's take a look where you are. If you're not at the pointy edge of the spear of a triathlon, for example, and it's not a hilly course, that extra kilo is probably not going to be a big. Yeah. If you're if you're a, a cat four racer and you're racing crits flat course, probably don't need to get down to where your six pack is be- is not actually six pack of muscles, but because you can count six ribs up, um, <laughs> you know so. I mean, be realistic with what you're trying to do. Not everyone has to be 5%, 4% body fat. Not everyone has to be down as light as humanly possible. Sometimes if we're, if we're doing this just to enjoy it and have a good time and be a little bit competitive, but we're not, we're not going to be at the very front. We're not the pro one, two. We're not the, the elite uh, multi-sport athlete. We're not the Boston qualifier. Does it really matter if you're 72 kilos or 74 kilos? Probably more matters to be just healthy so you don't get injured. 
Right. I find that fascinating because, well, also those really low body fat numbers will affect testosterone levels for men and for mm-hmm. women, their estrogen and progesterone. But also, like when you look at the, the women and in cycling, they're stronger. And yet there's a huge obsession within the male triathletes and the cyclists about getting really, really light and lean. Very Lots of prima donnas. That is very true. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously, it, it's another huge topic, but it just has to do with how the media is pushing things and how, you know, we see, you know, those lightest riders doing well and that sort of thing. But I think more of it is just if you want to make sure you keep your goals kind of focused. Really great conversation. Obviously, we can go on and on about this sort of thing. But if you have more questions or just need some clarification, I think this could definitely help. Um, so go back, listen to this portion of it. Um, you can kind of listen in. And if you have any more, um, jump into the forum. We've got a um, really good conversation going in there, and we can continue answering questions there as well. I'm going to do Jason, a quick transition I've, over I've, the tape. Yeah, go ahead. I've, I've put a picture up on the bottom of that discussion about how do I choose my macros that might help people. Awesome. Well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, yeah. So head over there. Um, really good um, kind of breakdown of protein, carbs versus fat and the very specifics there. So um, really great um, infogram or actually it's actually word. So um, check that out um, when you get a chance in the forum. Okay, so let's switch over. I'm going to um, transition over to Taya here. Um, we're, we're headed back into a work week. Um, you just a lot of our writers just came off a recovery week. Um, so we're going to answer a couple questions that had came up about how um, how to handle when things um, kind of don't go the way we planned or something happens. We've got some writers getting sick with the different parts of season and weather that they're in. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and Taya is going to bring in a little of those topics here from the lab. All right, Taya, go for it. Thanks, Jason. So when workouts don't go as planned, um, it's, I think a, a good um, rule of thumb here is take a systematic approach. So let's say that you're doing your workout and it feels extremely hard and you're just suffering through it and you're, you know, saying nice things about the coaches as you're doing <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> and, um, but, but, then, but then ask yourself, were you able to complete that workout? If the answer is yes, then that to me indicates that, yes, you probably had tired legs but it's not a fatigue to the point that you should be taking a rest, you know, longer rest after that workout of more than a day because you're able to complete it. So it is part of your training and adaptation to have to work hard um, and suffer through it to then be able to, you know, have the necessary stimulus in your body to then recover and get stronger. So, um, but then, and then, Let's say that you did complete the workout, but you couldn't quite hit the targets. But you were within, let's say, 5% of the number. That's okay, too. Were you a little bit lower on, um, on the intervals? That's okay. You completed the workout. Again, you're doing well. You're fine. Um, next, the next day is probably a recovery day. Move on. Now, if, um, if it's a little harder than that, and uh, so you, you took a look at that day and, and um, perhaps you weren't able to complete a workout. It was, it was too hard for you um, and you just stopped in the middle or you just um, decided that you just couldn't finish for whatever reason. Then you, you take a look at not only that day, but then um, what, what were the hours leading up to the workout like? Are you work, working out in the evening? How was your day? Were there other things that could factor in? Um, to the fact that you couldn't complete the workout or maybe take a look at the day before or even that week. So a lot of times there are so many external factors that cause us to not perform well on a bike. It could be stress. It could be nutrition. Very often it is nutrition. Um, Things that could be sapping your energy. And I see this all the time in the forum. Sometimes people come in and say, Gosh, you know, I'm not able to complete the workout. I don't know what's going on. The important thing here, I think, and I think I know we talk about this a couple of times, and we, we've been on the subject of fatigue before. But the thing to keep in mind is to not get discouraged, and don't take that one workout that didn't go well, um, and say to yourself, you know what, I'm I'm not I'm not progressing. This is terrible. You know, don't 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 see it that way because it's just that one event or it's just that one week. 
And really, when you take a harder look at what's, what else is going around your life, um, you will find out that chances are there's other things influencing it. Uh, and it could also be that you've been doing some back-to-back workouts or you went to an outdoor, outdoor ride thinking it was going to be an easy one and it was a harder one. And boom, all of a sudden you look at your week and you had four straight days of hard days yeah. um, without even realizing. So the, just something to keep in mind. And we're always happy to talk about it in the forum as well. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring in related to fatigue is the mind. So we have some good videos on um, you know, mental fitness um, for endurance athletes, and uh, we can bring those back in here from Nate Last and mm-hmm. post those on the, uh, on the forum. But the mind is, as, as you, we all know that there is a correlation between mind and, and, and the power output. Um, I think instinctively, right, without having to be scientists. We can read about it, but the truth is there is a connection. And the mind has the mind is responsible for preserving your body. And so the mind will tell you to stop before you come to a point that is considered catastrophic failure, you know, a t- catastrophic event. So you're not going to be working out to the point of failure. You're not going to be running out in the heat until you just fall dead to the side of the road, right? Your mind is going to say, hey, stop here, stop here. Um, But know that your mind can also be pushed further a little bit. So you can have that conversation. So the mind is constantly assessing what's going on in the body and making decisions in real time every second of your workout. And so it's okay to feel tired and to say, ah, I think I need to stop. I can't do this. But then talk to yourself a little bit and say, you know what? No, you can't. Just, just finish this one. Um, and, and, and that's also why we do training, because the mind has it seared in it, exactly what the body can do. So the body learns very quickly how hard you can go. And this is when, when you go outside and you work hard, it kind of translates into it. The, so the, so that, that's why we train. So we train to sort of like push those boundaries a little bit more of the, of the mind body and to say, I can do this. And then you get comfortable with it and you go out and you, and you work hard. Um, any comments on that one before I move on to missed workouts? No. Yeah, I felt like you were no, just describing I, my week. Yeah, <laughs> this can definitely get hit. A lot, this is the kind of the unknown factor. You know, a lot of us are learning. Um, you may be new to training peaks or just new, new to structured training. And you feel like, oh, I should be able to get on, you know, at the end of the day, early morning and, you know, bang the workout out and hit the targets every single week, every single day, day in, day out. Um, and it's, it can be tough. And these are all the factors um, that can, can run into our lives. It's, it's the stress factor that training peaks can't account for. It's the, the fatigue that, you know, none of our apps can tell us. It's stuff that we need to know. Uh, one thing that you do have on your side is that um, you have us as the coaches, uh, one, as a soundboard to ask questions. Two, um, in the planning of the weeks and the workouts, we cycle people off where they're doing hard weeks. And for example, last week, a rest week. And again, this week, a more intense week, you're cycling that off. Because more often than not, when we do pick up a new athlete, you'll find someone and you'll ask them, when was your last kind of rest week or your off time? And they've just been on the throttle for four, five, six weeks at a time or more, and they just never rest. Um, and then that's fatiguing in itself. So this is a huge topic. So definitely look at your training, look at your, um, you know, kind of digest of, you know, what workouts and, um, and go back and, and make sure that you're taking that time off, um, both mentally and um, physically. And you got to have the conversation with your coach too. Like my jerk of a coach put me at really hard stuff the last, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday. And so on Wednesday, I was completely shattered as I tried to do the workout. And I wasn't even on that, how Taya described it. I was so far from hitting my goals that it wasn't even, I mean, I, I shot the moon. I went zero for 20 on stars. Yeah. It was awesome. I didn't even get my recovery stars. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, it, you got to have that conversation um, with your coach to say, hey, okay, that, that week that you put out to shatter me did shatter me. And so I, I, now I need to back it off a little bit, even though we didn't plan a recovery week this week. And, and that's just where you have to take it. And if you don't have that open dialogue, your coach doesn't know how you're feeling. They'll just look at numbers and go, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's where I guess 
this a conversation about training logs and open conversation with your with your coaches is really, really important. That's one of the four uh, one of the forum's strengths um, where you can get on um, and ask questions, and we are available. And not just one of us, but um, you know everyone is available. You can tag any of us to talk about. So really great. Um, you had one more point here, right, Tia? Yes. Yeah, so uh, missed workouts happens to everyone. We all have things going on. So general rules here. And again, we can address those separately uh, as well in the forum. But typically, if you miss two or three days of, um, of workouts, then, and it's, you know, maybe you just, it, it's something that came up, a travel, a trip, um, or you weren't feeling that great, but now you're feeling better. So two to three days, you can typically pick back up where you left off. And, um, or you can just continue on on the week as planned. Now, if you missed more days, let's say four to six missed workouts, then you have to ask, is it due to illness or is it due to lifestyle changes? If it's due to illness, let's say a bad cold, a sore throat, flu, then you probably won't be ready to return to normal training right away, even if the symptoms are gone. So your body's chemistry usually changes when you have uh, the illness and you stay out for that long. And we're talking four to six missed workouts. So that might be a week, right? Mm -hmm. So this might show up, you know, these changes in your body might show up as low power, high heart rate, elevated perceived exertion. If this is what you're experiencing, then you're going to have to need, you're going to have to treat that time off as if it was, um, you know, so, something that you, we might need to adjust and go back to some easy workouts to ease you back in. So instead yeah, of jumping you, right back into intensity right away. Right. If, if you're looking at it from a perspective of being sick for about a week where you lose those four to six workouts, I equate that usually to taking a two to three week break. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and, but then if you miss those four to six workouts or the week of workouts because you were away, let's say, and, you, and it's not due to illness, then um, that can be treated as a recovery period. And you should be able to get back on the same level of intensity, not, again, the first day. Um, don't expect that you're going to come back after a week jumping to, you know, an aerobic steps or a breakaway yeah. interval and be able to do it. <laughs> you still need to do an easy spin to ease back in. And, um, but you would be able to pick it up. Chances are faster than um, compared to, to if you were um, out due to illness. Absolutely. Great. So again, if you have any other questions, again, communication is the key here. Uh, um, to making sure that um, you have someone on your side. And that's what we're here for. So great topic there. I'm going to make a quick transition over here. As a lot of our riders are headed outdoors um, and getting their bikes off their trainers and um, back onto the roads out there, um, there have been some conversations about the different things that we can have um, to make sure that our rides are uninterrupted. And um, as we move out, um, outside of our pain caves, uh, some things that we should make sure that we have. So I'm going to get it over to Ian. He's going to talk a little bit about bikes and tools and the different repairs that we can do um, on our bikes when we don't have that support vehicle behind us that has a, a spare bike for us. That's how Ian rolls. That's why. <laughs> no, that's not accurate. I have two spare bikes. I have a wheel change guy and my masseuse in the, in the <laughs> port car. Um, rolling <laughs> massages are great. No, uh, rolling. Yeah, yeah, I don't get my hands dirty. Are you kidding me? Uh, no, the, <laughs> No, it's, it's really important when you go out on your long rides and actually any ride where you're going to be more than walking distance from your house. If you don't want to have the phone call of shame to ask someone to come pick you up or the phone call to a friend, you don't want to have that phone call to a friend to have them walk you through how to change a tire or change a tube as well. You really want to be able to be self-supportive best, as best as possible. So that means you, on the bike, you need to carry at a minimum a flats kit. And so you're going to want to have, if you're, if you're riding a road bike, you need to have a a CO2 system. And why I say that is because all the mini pumps for the most part are great at getting you up to about 25 or 30 PSI. Um, most cyclists, and this is most, um, and triathletes included, do not have Arnold Schwarzenegger arms and then therefore cannot pump their tires up to 85, 90 PSI. Yeah. At best, you're probably going to get to 40 or 50 on a, on a uh, mini pump. And that's just going to be enough maybe to get you home, hopefully not to cut down a sidewall to continue. Um, you're going to want to carry 
probably two cartridges. And I always say two because if you carry one, one could be bad, or you might not quite screw on the the uh, the inflator valve uh, correctly. And you want to make sure when you buy cartridges, if you have a screw top for the inflator valve, that you buy threaded cartridges. Otherwise, it's not going not going to work for you. Um, you also want tire levers, two to three. So if you're good enough to do it with one, great. But most people need two to three tire levers to pop the bead up of the tire to be able to get access to the tube. Unless you're using tubeless, which is, that's a whole other discussion. I do recommend most people take a patch kit with them in the event that you puncture more than once, which I had my all-time record was a four or five punctures cool. in one ride. Yeah, I had an embedded piece of glass that I couldn't find. Um, and I kept having to, another one where I cut down a sidewall. So I kept having to boot, I booted it. I was using gel packs and dollar bills. but we can go to that in another conversation how to do that uh, another day. And then, obviously, you're going to have a spare tube or two. Uh, most, most bags will carry one, no problem. Some can carry two. Depends on what you really want to do, how long you're going for, how big of a bag you want. If you're on a touring bike, then you, you're probably okay with it. If you're on a, a, a fast road bike, you're probably only going to want one. And then, along with that, you probably want a multi-tool. And that's just going to have a few Allen wrenches, maybe another tire lever on it couple different things, a screwdriver to help if there's any mid-ride repairs that you need to fix. Um, very valuable, very handy. I highly recommend that. And they're pretty cheap, too. You can get a nice multi-tool for $8, $10. Bucks. Um, you don't need to get the Gucci one. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, I've seen in a couple shops. There was one that was like $65. It was That's some name nuts. brand. And they had all kinds of stuff. I was like, when are you? You're not going to do bottom bracket repairs on the road. You don't need that. <laughs> Just a couple of Allen wrenches and some screwdrivers. You're generally pretty good with that. Yeah, uh, totally. So for your home tools, for the non-home mechanic, but just the basic person, you're going to want a bike pump with a pressure gauge. And the reason I say that is I know mm-hmm. a lot of people who will tell me, oh, I squeezed my tire and it's, it's pretty hard. I'm like, again, man, unless you have monster hand, unless you have Hulk grip, you can't tell the difference between 60 PSI and 90 PSI when you squeeze your tire. Uh, and, and that's a huge difference of on terrain. If you're going over... Roads that have a lot of glass, sharp objects, you want that higher tire pressure and you need it. Likewise, you can't, you can't tell the difference between 90 PSI and 150 PSI and you may blow up your tube pumping it up. So have that tire, uh, tire pump or the bike pump with a pressure gauge. It'll go a long way. Uh, again, tire levers here, you're going to want to have the three, the three set at least. Because uh, some wheels are a little more difficult to get on. You want a set of Allen wrenches. You don't have to have the cool park tool ones like I have that you can spin them around. You can just go to your local hardware store and get a set of Allen wrenches that go from a two millimeter, 2.5 millimeter up to, um, you know, something that's good size, the six, six or eight uh, millimeter. That'll cover most of what you need. Um, Electrical, uh, see, screwdrivers, that's definitely a bonus or if you have to make any small adjustments. Electrical tape is your kind of catch-all fix-all. If you have any of your any of your uh, bar tape that tears and you don't want to replace the bar tape right away because you love it and you want to see what color you can make it turn to, tape over that bad boy <laughs> and you're good. Um, and, and electrical tape can, tape can be used to fix a lot of things. Uh, chain lube is definitely something you need to have, um, and you can get your chain lube based on the conditions that you're riding in. And so I, I recommend do a little research into that. And that's drastically different than WD-40. So please, yes. for the love of God, do not put WD-40 on your drivetrain as the lubricant unless unless you want dirt to stick to it, unless you want to cause problems. If you want to cause problems, go nuts. And if you're racing against me, please use WD-40. Please. It, WD-40 is a, is, a, is a lubricant, but it, it's a really good cleaner. So I, I actually clean some of my, my drivetrain or chains with it, but I get it off and I use a chain lube, a specific chain lube. Yeah. When I'm doing that. Um, anti-seize, if you're putting pedals on, taking pedals off, I recommend putting anti-seize on anything you're screwing into your bike, um, especially if you're riding in the trainer or you sweat a lot. Uh, you may not be able to untake it off your bike if you put right. it on without anti-seize. Uh, and grease, again, for those for bearings or for your uh, anything you need to do with your, uh, your fork or your steering tube, those are the kind of things you want to put grease on. Do not put grease in your drivetrain. Do not put grease in your drivetrain. Do not put grease in your drivetrain. Just don't do it. That's horrible. That's, that's worse than WD-40. Unless you're racing against me, then put grease in your drivetrain. Um, and some kind of pe- uh, pedal wrench. So I have a couple different versions, uh, You know, some beefier than others, but you want to be able to take those pedals off to give them a good cleaning or if you have to pack your bike for anything. 
or if you want to change your pedals. So have a pedal wrench. Some, some use an Allen wrench. Some use an actual 13 or 15 millimeter wrench. You can use a regular crescent wrench for it, but sometimes that won't fit. So a good pedal wrench is pretty cheap. Again, five, six bucks. It doesn't have to be anything super beefy. And then you want some version of a bike stand. It does not have to be something fancy. You just need something where your bike can stand up on its own so you can do a little bit of the work because we're not talking really advanced. When you start getting into advanced tools, that's where you're talking the cassette removal, the chain breaker, the bottom bracket tools, wire cutters with a crimper, truing stands, uh, the, the real pimp park tool bike stands where you can turn the bike upside down or horizontal, vertical, spin it around, make it dance, whatever you want. Uh, those are the kind of things that as you get more advanced in your uh, bike mechanic or home mechanic uh, capacity, you can get to. Um, but really for all, of, for most of us, you know, who have access to a good bike shop, you really want to be able to focus on those basic home repairs, changing pedals, maybe changing a cassette. If, you, if you're looking at that, definitely t- changing a tire. If you don't know how to change a tire, please go to a bike shop or a friend and learn how to change a tire. I've been woken up at 730 in the morning by a friend calling me to walk her through how to change a tire. I've never let her live that down. Uh, but it's something that, that everyone needs to do because you don't want to be caught out in the middle of nowhere and not be able to change a tire. Surprisingly the, easy, actually. I It took me over a year from the day I started cycling to learn how to change a tire. And yeah. for some reason, I just thought it was a daunting task, even though I'm able to do other things in the car, for example. But once you learn, mm-hmm. it's actually quite simple. And my main motivation was a day that I wanted to go for a very, very long ride. And mm-hmm. Drew, my husband, <clears throat> turns to me and says, well, you can't because how are you going to change a tire if you get a flat? Oh, so that, that was the one say, oh, yeah, that's not going to stop me from riding alone. So, that, yeah, <laughs> I, no, and I, have a, I had to teach a guy here at work how to do it. And I because I, 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 I look, I'll admit it's completely sexist. I just assumed he was a guy. He knew how to change a tire. <laughs> he did not. He did yeah. not. And so I gave him the class and I was fine because he was sitting there and his bike was at work. And he's like, oh, I got to get a cab home. I, I, have, I take my bike to the shop. I said, why do you take your bike to the shop? Oh, I have a flat. I said, well, just change the tube. Change the tube. Yeah. Well, and, I, and you know, I know how people yeah. say, you know how people say, you know, when you when you have a question, people say just use Google, right? Ask Google. <laughs> right. I think I think that for <laughs> for cycling, for example, changing a tire or things of that nature, you could go to GCN. I mean, those guys have videos on how yeah. to do stuff on pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, so when you get one more, right? right? No, go ahead. Oh, no, Jason. I, yeah, I well, so when you went. When you work, uh, when, you, when this works well and everyone does have their, you know, their tools. And the reason why I bring this up is um, Ian and I were actually together um, riding a couple months back. Um, and I think, I think we ended up with three, right? Because we had one rider that had a double flat and then I got a front yeah. flat coming down the hill. And everyone had their stuff. It just took a minute. Everyone's, you know, the couple guys stopped. Boom. Changed two tires. Changed two tubes. Boom, boom, boom. We're going, you know, yep. a little further down the hill. I get my flat, boom, 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 take it off, change it, boom. Everyone's got their stuff. Everyone has what they need. And what happens when the, a group of people, everyone has um, all their stuff, but more or less, you know, you've got two tubes. You could, you could lend one to someone and everyone has what they need. You know, I've got, I've got a really close friend of mine that I ride with here and he doesn't bring anything. Um, and uh, his, his name rhymes, uh, uh, rhymes with one. And so, and it's so, yeah, it's oh, so wait, annoying. Wait, I know that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, and we all have this person in our right in our in our um, group rides. You know, they've got they've got no saddlebag, they've got nothing in their seats, they didn't bring enough food to eat, and you're like, what are you <laughs> doing here? So it's super annoying, but. Um, well, I just wanted to share that story, but when it does work and everyone has their stuff, yeah. it makes that the ride and the group ride so much better when you do have to stop. And everyone's not like, oh, we got to stop for 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Ian. We, had a, we had a standing rule that if you didn't bring stuff and you flatted and we had to fix your bike for you, or if you didn't know how to do it and I had to do it for you, I wasn't paying for breakfast after the ride or drinks <laughs> that night. There you go. Um, there you so, go. So yeah, so really quick going on to the last couple things. There's some advanced repairs you can do. I don't recommend doing this unless you, you practice it on a bike, you're you're okay with messing up a little bit. And it's not that it's gonna break anything, it just takes some time to get used to it and learn how to do it. So we're talking cable replacement, gear indexing, you know, changing out your derailers. Um bottom bracket's a little bit dicey and tricky, so I, I recommend taking that to a shop if you want, uh if you really want to make sure it's done right and watch them do it, and then next time maybe you can do it. 
Um, but it's the more you can do on your own, the more the more time you, you're not having to spend in the car, the more time you're not having to take your bike to the shop, the more you're saving, and the more you know your bike. But if you don't know how to do this stuff, yes, you can YouTube it or Google it, but don't go from I don't know how to change a tube to I'm going to replace my bottom bracket in one day. So yeah. build over time. Um, and lastly, where you're keeping your tools matter uh, matters. So back when I was a single guy, I had a friend of mine who moved in with me for a little bit because his his family had already relocated while he was getting ready to move uh, to a new duty station, and they sold their house earlier than planned. So he moved in with me, and he was asking where one of my pedal wrenches were, and I told him it was in the silverware drawer in the kitchen. <laughs> in fact, it wasn't the silverware drawer. It was right below the silverware drawer, but I kept my bike tools in the drawer below the silverware, and I had <laughs> spare tubes and tires on the doorknob of the laundry room. And, uh, you know, so for me, I was a sim guy, so I did that. That, that would currently not fly in my house. <laughs> so I, I highly recommend... <laughs> Putting your finding a place where you can put things that are not going to cause trouble for you. I have a, a separate bike room, so the bikes and the tools stay in there, um, and then they they stay separate from where the treadmill and the and the trainer are. But that's the that's the bike shop basically. Some people call it an office. I call it a bike shop. Um, so I have everything kept separate there, and it's organized for the most part, uh, and it stays all all in there. And and I highly recommend doing that where you're going to keep your tools because when you getting ready for a ride and realize you don't have something you need to make a quick repair, that's when panic starts setting in. But if everything's already in a good place, in a logical place, and you don't have to think about it, you can go get it. If you have to dig through your sock drawer to find your tire levers and go to the kitchen to find the CO2 inflator and then go out to the, you know, the kids under the kids' room bed to get the tire pump, it's going to cause more, more, more chaos, and you don't need that at that point. So just create a system that works for you. If that's your system that putting your tire levers in your stock drawer, that, that's fine. But I, I don't recommend that. <laughs> but definitely in, invest a little bit of money, not a lot, in your bike tools and your repair kits. And it'll save you a lot. You don't want to be that guy who has, or that lady who has to call someone to pick them up because you got a flat. Now, if you flat it out five, six times, got it. But if you call me to pick you up because you had one flat and you couldn't change your tire, just prepare to endure a long <laughs> drive home. That's funny. All right. So if you've got any um, cramps or any um, fatigue after that, um, you are not alone. Um, lots to think about there in that, in, in that topic. So definitely go through um, and make sure that your bag is all checked out and you are not that person who shows up at the group ride um, without the tools that you need to uh, fix a flat. We're going to actually, um, we are running a little short on time, so we're going to jump straight over to um, the lab rat of the week. Um, I know Taya's got a great one and a great story behind it. Um, why don't you let us know who's our lab rat? Who are we featuring this week? Um, who did some really exceptional work, Taya? Sarah King. So Sarah is out in Mallorca for a um, a camp, and she has posted a wonderful picture of herself and a gorgeous view in the background. Um, and she is having a great experience. So she mentioned how... Now, after 12 weeks of being in the lab, this is her second lab, um, she is very happy with the results and uh, how the, you know, what she's being able to accomplish during this cycling camp. So she was saying that she did one of the um, must-do climbs out there of 200 meters, and it's a pretty tough one, especially in the heat. And she said that she felt a big difference in her endurance on the climb and uh, she made um, she made her way up to the A training group, which is the fastest group. She calls them the serious speed demons. <laughs> and she found herself second to uh, out uh, of the group to the top. So um, much to her surprise, and to be honest, uh, she, I'm quoting here, much to my surprise and to be honest to all the guys in the group that she was able to do that. So, you know, something that last year she could not have done and she's able to hold a stronger pace for much longer. And so she's very happy and pleased with the results that she's ha having from uh, training in the lab. But Sarah, really, it's your hard work that's paying off. So congratulations. Um, we were all excited to hear your story. Absolutely. Always fun to hear about um, our riders um, traveling and um, how they're doing well, whether it's, you know, a training camp, you know, far off like uh, Sarah has um, 
you know, travel to, or it's just you doing better or performing better or coming back less fatigued from your local group ride or the, you know, Tuesday night throwdown, that sort of thing. We love to hear those stories and we hope that all of you are getting a benefit here um, from the um, Endurance Lab. So on the horizon, we've got um, a really great week. Um, I, sh- I'm sh- I just need to make sure that we have this queued up. We've got waterfalls, threshold mix, and race accelerations. That's, is that right, Taya, coming up? And then um, that's right for uh, yeah. And then for the weekend, we've got um, a long outdoor ride, um, uh, outdoor training ride. So we'll talk a little bit about um, how we can uh, utilize that here in the next cu- coming days. But still, a really tough week. Plenty of SST work, um, and the race accelerations have you really at um, at the rivet. Um, you know, for four intervals of that. Um, as far as strength workouts, we've got two times Tabata um, and our and our staple, our staple, our 15-minute core workout coming up in the next week. So great week ahead. Everyone's um, got a weekend coming up for this week. So definitely get outside if you can, if you've got the weather. If not, put a long ride in. Make sure that you are, um, you're fueling that ride appropriately um, and that um, you're getting yourself ready uh, for the week to come. Was there any last comments from the coaches? I know we've got, we covered a whole lot today. Yeah, so for next week uh, is, again, a very intense week. So be prepared, be well-fueled. Um, that comes before a rest week again. And um, I will um, say that the first workout of the week, the SST waterfall, is a pretty tough one. So don't get frustrated with that one. Yeah, definitely. I just actually um, ended up doing this um, outdoors. I thought it might be a little bit more... Um, accomplishable if that's if that's a word so i ended up doing it outdoors it it was um but in the end after i got to the end of it i kind of uh was uh what do you call it uh demystified when i yeah and and the reason why i think is because um i should have probably increased my ftp a little bit to be able to really feel the end because if it was supposed to be at the very ragged edge is wasn't so now i feel bad i want to go back and do it again <laughs> to, <laughs> to make sure that i'm getting to it because i'm probably was five or six off so I, I may go back but it's definitely challenging so head out there it's a great outdoor workout if you've got a flat road um this could be really a really fun workout outdoors as well so all right so from our coaches um from taya from andrea from ian um i want to say thank you guys for joining us here in the endurance lab um every week Week in, week out, we're here talking about the hot topics in the lab, what's going on in the week, answering your questions, and really just digging deep into our um, our riders' lives, and you guys get a peek into our coaches' lives. So if you want to hear more about um, more episodes of the Endurance Lab um, Coaches Corner, head over to uh, your favorite podcast app or YouTube and subscribe to the Endurance Lab. And from the coaches here, thanks again for joining in. We'll see you in next week in the Coaches Corner. 